Te Koto. I'm joined here by Erica Ross and Steve Lindsay, who have spent the past few months travelling around Aotearoa asking school principals about their experiences of navigating their communities through COVID-19. Steve, Erica, welcome. Hello. Hello. Uh, so, um, I guess to, to kick us off, I'm I'm keen to get a sense of some of the common challenges, opportunities and learnings you gleaned from these conversations. But um, Steve, perhaps if you could first share a little bit about the origins of this kaupapa. Well, actually, it was, um, it was an idea that Iona had, um, our Secretary of Education. She wanted to capture the the stories and the narratives and the experiences that leaders have had over the last couple of years with COVID. Um, I think for two part, one, to capture them, not, not just as a historical um, record, but also so that perhaps the system could learn and we can we can grow and, and, and develop from it. Uh, well, I just had on from Steve and just want to say that it was a huge privilege, actually, to be able to do this, uh, to do this work. And um, I was incredibly well, blown away by the, the honesty and the way principals opened up um, with such honesty around what they had faced and how they'd felt through this through this work. I thought it was um, absolutely amazing. We were very lucky, actually, to have people of that calibre out there. Yeah, a lot um, of stories came through, didn't they, that were that would um, resonate widely, I'd say. Um, yeah, what what were some of those, those things that came across uh, frequently? I think if I was to pick some of the things that most frequently, it was the role that the principal as the leader of the school found themselves thrust into as the leader almost of their entire community. And, and something that struck me um, was that there was a certain amount of decoding that principals had to do themselves with the information that was coming in thick and fast um, and, then, and then communicating that to their communities in a way that was readily understood. Would you agree with that? Was that something that, that you encountered? I think that that was common, certainly among the primary and intermediate principals, and I, Steve will speak on behalf of secondary, but you had the whole range from principals who were so appreciative of the work the ministry had done in taking the information each day and putting it into a bulletin for them uh, so that they could use it you know, really easily the next day. Over time, that became overwhelming. The messages became so long and so big, and sometimes the messages were unhelpful. And I think if there was one thing I heard that I would have that I think we need to learn from is we need to have their, them in the picture when some of these messages are being designed. Did you think we got better at that as the pandemic has taken its course of in, of, of listening and incorporating those views of principles, or do we have a way to go? I think we did because I know from NZPF um, they were very pleased at the fact that Iona bought. Uh, some of the peak bodies into that conversation so that they were part of developing. Yeah, that's interesting you should say that because when I was, as I've been receiving your, your great work, your interviews with these principals, um, one thing that sort of became clear in all of them is that as compounding the logistical challenges was that that real moral imperative, that's a good way of describing it, Steve, of looking after your people and, and that includes the well-being of your staff and your your akonga and your whanau and all of that. And it's it's an enormous challenge, but I feel like our principles rose to that from what from what I'm gathering, um, not downplaying the challenges and the, the probably the, the toll it's taken on them as well. Would, would, would you agree to that? 
Yeah, yeah, look, absolutely. It, it was a huge job, or it is a huge job still, and they've still got you know, significant challenges. It's the sort of, and we talk about the COVID being, you know, sometimes you can get long COVID. I talk about it being long COVID for organisations. It's still there, and it's uh, it, the effects of and the impacts of and the, the well-being or, or whatever that needs to happen in terms of support for the people is, is still there. So it's going to take a while to get through that, and there's still lots of challenges ahead of them. Um, my, my, my concern or my just question is that, you know, we've got to make sure that we are doing everything that's sustainable. A lot of my principles talked about, hey, we can't just be in survival mode all the time, which is really what they what we were doing in the first couple of years, really, and especially this 2022 with the Omicron and, you know, when all the staff are away and all the students are away and all this sort of thing. And you turn up to school and you just basically had to count how many cars in the car park so you knew how many staff were there, sort of idea. It's about um, reconnecting with the purpose of what we're actually trying to do. And so the purposes of the the, the reviews and the, the, all the things that came out of the education conversation and connecting that what the schools are doing will better align us and then we'll be in a better place to then start looking at the individual work streams and go from there. So purpose needs to come to the surface a little bit more. Rather than being reactive. To yeah, that's, that's right. Because at the moment, they're all individual things. And they're, they're very good things. Don't get me wrong. They're very good things. The work that Eric is doing is fantastic. And someone else is doing something else. They're all very good things. But they need to be real, um, to be aligned, to have some synergy and clear purpose. That then a school that's had a bit of a wobble and going through the turbulence of um, pandemic can go, okay, right, I'm just going to reset and realign and, and oh, yes, great, the world is better. Well, you know, there's a plan forward and that sort of idea. Um, I, I, I totally agree. And I just wanted to ask you both, I know you both visited schools and kura in uh, Christchurch. And the reason I bring that up is because they have had more experience than, than other parts of the country at that sense of resetting and aligning themselves to their purpose and, and getting back on track. Um, Erica, what was your experience of your visits to those schools and how they are navigating the pandemic? I think um, it wasn't just those schools, but actually when I spoke to NZP exec, who've got a number of Christchurch principals there as well, um, and I would, having been a principal at the time of the earthquakes, I would agree totally with them. They had learned to roll, to just roll with the, you know, what do you call, what's that say, roll with the punches. punches. It just, whatever happened, they just learned not to panic, not to get, you know, not to let it stress them. They just knew that things were going to happen that they didn't expect to have happened and they just learned how to deal with that. And that made them a lot more resilient in in the way they dealt with all of this. I think what they were disappointed with was there had been a lot of learning across those principles through the Christchurch earthquake, both in how they led their communities through it, but also just in the way they ran their schools, you know, the doubling of the secondary schools, for example. Um, and it all, it had all just disappeared, like it had never been captured or shared across the country. And so they felt that had that been the case, had um, maybe Christchurch principals been able to talk um, on a platform with principles across the country at the start of the pandemic, they could have kind of shared some of that 
uh, learning with them, which might have been helpful. So we've got an opportunity here, would you say, to learn from principals' experiences of, of learning and leadership in this past two years? And including Auckland, who probably have had the mm. hardest, Fine. by far the hardest experience through this entire um, pandemic. Uh, in what respect? Well, they've had the most lockdowns and the longest lockdowns and the continuous lockdown. You know, it's mm. been it's been horrendous for them in a way that other mm. schools acknowledge they haven't had to um, haven't had to deal with. It was pretty darn hard for them. um, Jude, I think that probably what we've been doing, even though our work is probably small in in scale, um, probably helps that. Um, And that was the whole idea, that if you can hear someone else's experience and resonate with that, or like I said before, agree or disagree, then that's part of it, um, and you you glean some things. I'm sure there's scope for doing some more formal processes to capture the the lessons learned. I think the other thing, too, that came out of the Christchurch ones is and this is probably because Christchurch have had a pretty good network. And I don't know whether it was it was probably like that before the earthquakes possibly as well, but it's generally considered they have a pretty good um, principal support network there, is that they often talk about how um, how well connected and how well supportive each other are. Um, and maybe that's come out of, I've told a few uh, principals down there, and maybe that's come out of their experiences. But that's pretty clear that, you know, the pandemic was, you know, they'd be on the phone, they'd be having these Zoom meetings, they'd be just whatever it is. That That's just part for part of the course for them as principals. It's the strongest um, of any of the associations. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'd, what I'd actually say too, because I'd actually ask um, principals in other parts of the country, um, what was that like? And so there's, there's huge variation in that across the country. So some are, some are just as powerful and connected and others aren't and less useful. So... That, that's an interesting insight into across the country. One thing I did notice was that regardless of how formal the, the um, collaborations were, the, the, they all seemed to rely, lean quite heavily on their support network, whatever that was like, whether it was a, a few principals in their local community or kahuako or, yeah. That was um, that. So yeah. I was going to say, Jude, that's, that's what they say. They, you ask them, where do you get your support from? And most of them would say, my team my SLT team, if they, you know, had a good one there, mostly we'll talk about that, um, but also trusted colleagues um, who they are connected with, maybe in a PLG or something. Um, and then, of course, their association, their local association. What were some of the things that schools in Kura did differently? Recognising how stressful the ordinary school environment has been for them and, and structuring things differently for them. Um, structuring some of their timetables differently um, to meet needs. Um, the online, the, the mixed mixed feelings around the online learning for those schools that had had a lot of training and a lot of development, it was a natural flow. For others, it was less so, and um, there were issues around engagement of kids in there, but there was a lot of stuff they learned about communicating with their whānau, with their um, community, that they certainly are going to take forward mm-hmm. in the future. Even a little little things you kind of think, well, oh, wouldn't you have thought of that before? Mm-hmm. Yeah, online parent interviews rather than dragging everybody out in the middle of winter to sit in the cold corridor for their turn, you know, mm-hmm. they'd have been able to have a longer conversation and a more, you know, 
things like that. Mm. Yeah, it's the same in secondary land as well. They, um, you know, you, you you often heard them talk about wanting to keep the gold nuggets or the sort of the, yeah. the benefits and what we've learned and that sort of thing. And and for a large part, they've been able to do that. Um, agree with what Erica says about the sort of online hybrid. Most people agreed that it was useful for some students, but not for everyone. So they learned that pretty quickly, that uh, it may have worked well in the pandemic, the very first lockdown we had, but it was sort of a, a boom or bust we had to or, or we would have all just sunk sort of idea. But actually, long term, it's not really a, a, a thing. Um, and of course, when everyone came back from pandemics, everyone went around and hugged and kissed and stood around and caught up and that sort of thing, because, you know, learning and living is a social activity. So so that's really important. Um, a, lot, a lot of people talked about um, overhauling some of their systems that weren't fit for purpose, especially during hybrid -y sort of or even um, lockdown situations, so that meetings became online. Or even they would say things like, actually, we just decided that if we didn't have to meet, well, then we wouldn't meet. You know, we'd only meet if we really had to. So they became more savvy with, and when they're back at school, they just didn't have regular meetings and just called them when they need to, that sort of idea. So they really, really tightened up on, on whether they had to have things or whether they had things on their calendar, which were just for the sake of it. Um, and um, the, one of the last schools I've visited talked about just go back to what Steve said about the social interaction being so so important. I think that's another thing out of the, um, some of the principles of what they said was that you have to have the social capital built in your relationships before something like this happens. Yes. You can't, you no. you will not be as successful in um, leading your community if you haven't got that social capital. So you've got to put time and energy into building that. Uh, all the time, yeah. So it's not a case of just flicking the switch to a hybrid setting if you don't have that firm foundation. I agree completely. But I, I am fascinated by this notion of um, injecting more flexibility into our systems and ways of doing things. Uh, do you get a sense that schools, are, some schools are experimenting in the, in the space of um, allowing in, in, in both meetings, staff meetings, but also student learning and, and allowing students to have more um, self-regulation and agency around that particularly. I'm thinking perhaps, Steve, this is more in the sec senior secondary space so I'm, I'm interested in, especially as we embark on NCEA. Yep, absolutely. I had a principal say to me that he had a group of senior students come to him and say, hey, look, um, lockdown, um, online was worked really well for us. We've got this research stuff to do. Can we go and do it at home and then we'll check in then? And, you know, and they sat there and thought, well, why not? And so they said, yes. So, yes, absolutely, there, there are lots of those sorts of situations um, coming to be. And I know that there are a lot of schools, I mean, you hear them on the news too, talking about wanting to make sure that they really push that sort of um, flexibility um, of, of, of how students learn and where they learn as well. So, yes, I think it's open up to the possibilities of that. Once again... Whether or not that translates to being a long-term thing will be interesting. I think there are other other factors that play in our system which need to be supportive of those sort of flexible um, practices, and they could include things like collectives and um, maybe some of the legislation that sits around, you know, whether a student has to be on site or not, and so on and so forth. So. 
these really novel and unique ways and flexible ways of dealing with things, um, yeah, they, they, they need to be supported by the system. I think that's, that's what I'm trying to say. I would say there's quite a danger in this whole area. Um, you know, I went to one school that is teaching what's called a flipped curriculum. Uh, and so they do this. They, all of the background reading and stuff that kids can do anywhere else, they, they do that at home. And the class time was used for actual practical doing the stuff and the teacher interacting with them. And that worked really well. But they've built that up over years of time. So the teachers are all highly skilled in it. Parents know what it's about and kids know what it's about. What I saw from some of the... Um, schools and and here I'm going to throw in my own personal experience from having four grandchildren at different high schools is that the, the this hybrid learning works for kids who are self-directed learners anyway who have appropriate conditions at home in which they can work who have access to that digital um uh, framework uh, uninterrupted and whenever they want it and not sharing it with, with others, it doesn't work for the others necessarily and certainly not all the time. So, um, and nor does it work for all teachers. There are some teachers who, who aren't very good in this environment who are fabulous in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we've been re we need to be very careful not to think this is the answer to all of our prayers. Was there anything that really surprised you? But I was just blown away by how, um, like I said before, how fully and complete people just embraced their community and looked after them. And one principal said that um, in some sort of activity, which is a pretty low-level activity, if that gets that kid back to school, that's what we're doing. And I thought, wow, absolutely fantastic. And that's not an educational thing. That was just an activity to get that kid back into life so that that could then be useful to get back to school. So, yeah, I was just blown away. It's it's amazing. People need to hear. People need to hear what what our principals and what our schools are doing. Um, what would be the, there were a couple of funny little things like the <laughs> Angela, who was so funny to interview, talking about the kid outside her window after she put her head out and told them to stop doing something, saying, "Heard this kid say, who was that?" <laughs> Because they'd had a year and a half where they hadn't really seen her. She hadn't been um, visible. In intermediate school too, isn't it? So they're only at school. They're already the official. Yeah. Who's that old lady, they said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that sort of story, you know, that would resonate with other principals too who have been don't feel that visible anymore um, in their schools because, like you say, we're not all around or they're in bubbles or what have you. Yeah. Well, it surprised me because most of the principals had made a real determined effort to go online, you know, almost daily, read a story or talk to the kids. What what I wanted to ask you about um, some of the insights you gleaned from how what staff learned about uh, what principals learned about their their own leadership styles and across this time because it's a really challenging time in terms of and and it, there's some principals who'd moved jobs and in quite recently in this, in these COVID times and then they had to not only take on the leadership of a new school, but get familiar with their systems and operations and how their staff ticked and everything like that. I think for some of the ones I met with, they realised that distributed leadership was incredibly important. Um, and that's not about, delegation's not about abdication. Um, true, true 
distributed leadership uh, is something you have to work on and and develop. Um, and you don't survive unless you have, in those circumstances, especially at the bigger schools, you don't survive if you don't have distributed leadership. And, and understanding that they're growing these leaders through, I think that that was something that, um, on reflection, I think from a couple of others, they realised that if you don't have a healthy leader, you don't have a healthy school. So they had to sometimes be what they thought was a bit selfish, but they had to sometimes think about what they were doing and what they were modelling mm-hmm. in terms of looking after their own well-being. And there was a funny one of the principal, mm-hmm. I think she's um sitting in her car because she would do um, sort of meditation all the way to school, talking to herself and positive thinking. And when she got to the school, she'd be on the last little bit of it and she'll be sitting in her car talking to her the last, you know, and this will be a great day and I will have a fantastic era of it. And she suddenly realised that all the staff were kind of watching her out the window talking to herself and wanted to know what she was doing. So she shared it. And then all the staff started to do that, you know. So it was, it was um, yeah, looking after yourself and modelling that for your staff was really important. But it, it's healthy. It's, it's humanising oh, principles as well, isn't it? Especially in some of these bigger schools where, you know, there's a where large staff and and the principal might be seen as not that accessible, I think, to for, for many, what a sense that I got from reading the reflections, listening to the reflections was that they became very um very much a part of this the staff body. Yeah, one principal said to me that he um he had to focus less on admin and more about walking or getting out and about, you know, his way of saying connecting, like you're just saying. So and I think you mentioned honesty right at the very start, and I would say that a lot of them were very honest about mistakes mm. that they felt they made or things that they learned, because no one's going to get it right. This is an uncharted territory for us all. Um, and I thought that was really that would be really interesting for a, if I was a principal listening to to that to hear that honesty come through and and how they navigated that mistake and what they did differently. Well, it's one of those things where as a leader, you know, you've got your people looking at you and when something happens, you look at the leader and go, okay, so how are we moving forward on this one? Well, actually, if the leader's just found out and and has got the same information as everyone else, then you can say, well, hey, I'm in the same boat you are, but this is how we're going to do it. This is what I know. And there's a lot of that sort of thing. And that came through again with Angela, where she talked about reviewing with her staff, thought she was doing a fair fabulous job you know with his staff and then when they did she did a review with them to see how they were all feeling they all it came through really negative and when she asked them to drill down what was it they wanted certainty and she said i may look like i'm you know god but (laughs) but actually i don't have any more certainty than you so they had a good laugh and on they went but i think of the two things that i saw coming through strongly it was it was about principles really looking strongly at the servant leader model That's right. and, and going back to some of their readings and things around that. But there was a very strong reflective practice coming through all the time. Um, so how is what I'm doing impacting on my staff? How is it impacting on my community? How What do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? I think there was a very strong reflective practice that came through. Definitely, and the the other thing I found too was that they would do, um, they would always take things back to their staff. They'd say, right, X, Y, Z, we've done some work on it, what do you think? How's this going to impact you? And it's a bit around like, shall we wear masks? We've got a decision to make. This is what we've got. What do you think? What do you say? So that staff fed into that. 
And they also did that with the students as well. And a lot of them said, oh, girl, um, we don't listen to our students enough. And we did, and this is what they said. And so therefore we responded and, and I don't know, did whatever they did. Um, so there was a lot of that sort of stuff, which is ultimately um, really, really beneficial. Um, and they could get it right because they're wanting to build on the evidence they have and then people's views on it and then they make a decision. So yeah, that's pretty pretty good. Excellent. So so we sort of touched on this already through the course of this chat, but I guess my, my big question really is where to from here? I mean, where are the key learnings? How do we, where are the opportunities? Where do the opportunities lie for collaboration and innovation uh, from here given, and I take on board what you've said about the, the levels of exhaustion and the, the sense that we're not out of the woods yet either. Um, but what's your sense for it in terms of next steps? To deal with the, the, the sort of the energy levels and the long, the term welfare is a, is a, is a bit more of a strategy as opposed to just a few events. Because tired, um, worn out leaders and teachers and the people in the workforce are not going to be um, refreshed after you know a weekend off or something like that. It's 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 going to be a long term. So we need to be able to put into um, effect a longer term strategy that improves that sustainability that I talked about before. I always say that um, what we should be doing is taking the positive and the most beneficial things that have happened out of the pandemic in terms of the relationship between especially the principals and the ministry and keep doing those um, and and build on those strengths because they worked and brought people closer together um, and so therefore, and that was a good thing. So now we're wanting to keep doing that good thing um, when there's less pandemic around but actually have and obviously change the focus a little bit. Great. Eason? <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks. My perspective, I guess I'd, I'd agree with a lot of what Steve's saying, but I, I wonder whether some overall uh, document that goes out, and I'm absolutely with Steve, the purpose, you know, I can't remember who the education leader was, Steve, that used to go start all of their um, courses and that with this, talking about the parrot on your shoulder. What is the purpose? What is the purpose? Yeah. Um, so some framework that the ministry goes back to say, look, we've been doing a wee bit of an evaluation of we you know what's been happening. Here are some of the highlights and the fabulous things that you've been doing. Here are some of the things that we think we need to address uh, in the future uh, and ask them. Just as Steve says, the principals have said we should go back and ask our kids more often and we're doing this in here and that will do that part. But here are the fabulous things you'd be doing here, the things that we need to address. We want to develop these further and develop the way forward and the supports and the tools that will be needed in the future to, to you know, for you. Um, and then ask them, ask them how they, how they, you know, to prioritise how they want you to work through those things. What are the most important to do now in two years and three years? And I would build on the platforms that, that have been strengthened through this um, experience. So the regional officers are yeah. much stronger in their communication. They have, that's how I've gone out and got to 800 principals in about two and a half weeks, going online with a director mm -hmm. in their normal um, fortnightly catch-ups. 
and having strengthening that in terms of what Steve's talking about, building that partnership. I think um, the work that Erica and I have done with this um, this small project um, has been focusing on leaders. So I think that there's a real opportunity in here to um, not just strengthen the connection, but actually um, help the leaders in our system um, do their job better. Um, and I think we need to, um, there's lots of parts of, of a leadership role, especially from, you know, going from the aspiring to the beginning to the PLG to the advisory um, jobs that, um, sorry, the leadership advisors that Erica's working on at the moment. They're all components of the whole part to support and to make our leaders better and more powerful, powerful in the sense of better learners. Um, and so we need to bring all those things together. Um, thank you both so much for your insights on this. It's a, there's a lot of food for thought, a lot to unpack and unpack <laughs> in all of that. Um, I know you, you've both said it was a privilege to go out into the school zone, but let me say as a person who's thoroughly enjoyed reading and listening to uh, the, the interviews, it's been a privilege to to partake in them, to, to share in the experiences of um, our school our schools and our principals. Um, as I know, the sector have enjoyed as well, and we've got more to come. So uh, thank you both for all your mahi in this space and uh, for your time today. <laughs> <laughs>